is your AMAC podcast, Better for America. And today I'm excited. We're back with the Reb and Rob show. And the world has delivered us such a full plate of issues. I think that there's no one better to have this conversation with today than Bobby Charles. Bobby, I'm thrilled to have with you with us, our uh, AMAC's very own national spokesman. And for those listening, uh, many of you know Robert, Bobby Charles, but as a reminder, he did serve in the Reagan and Bush White Houses. He clerked on the U.S. Court of Appeals. He was a litigator in New York and Washington. He ran oversight investigations for Congress under Newt Gingrich including in defense, state, justice, and NASA. He taught at Harvard. He has written two books, great books, one on narcotics and terrorism and one on World War II veterans. He also served as Assistant Secretary of State under Colin Powell and was charged with running operational programs in over 70 countries. Today, Bobby is a prolific analyst, an incisive writer for AMAC. Go ahead and download the AMAC News app if you haven't yet done that because you'll see a lot of Bobby's great articles right there. Um, But if there were ever a a time for thinking and writing about world events with historical perspectives, it is surely right now. Bobby, I'm thrilled to have you with us uh, and to dig into all of the issues today. Thanks for being here. It's great to be here, Rebecca. We've got, as you just said, the world is sort of on fire. So it's a great time to be talking about it. It really is. And Bobby, it's been a few weeks at least. Uh, So much has happened since you and I last sat down. Uh, since the last Reb and Rob show, and we do like to call this show uh, Reb and Rob on Truth and History, uh, I want to talk about truth, and I want to talk about some history so we can understand exactly what it is that's happening today. Uh, Russia's invaded Ukraine. Uh, NATO is on high alert. China is eyeing Taiwan. And Bobby, so many hearts around the world are really breaking Uh, It it really kills me every time I turn on the television and see these images. uh, We know that over 4 million refugees are now flooding into Europe. Uh, And what's interesting, I think, is people seem to have forgotten the Afghanistan disaster. And uh, Bobby, that was really that that botched withdrawal from Afghanistan really brought America, I think, to the edge of, of a precipice of where we are today. And then here at home, we see 8.5% inflation. We see a growth of 1.5% or, I'm sorry, 1.2% in one month. Um, The border, we can talk about the border wall. We see how that's going to be overrun at a higher rate um, as Biden chops at Title 42. So uh, everything from our Supreme Court being under siege, there's so many big issues, uh, including now um, abortion. Uh, I'd like to chat with you a little bit about that, our Second Amendment rights, these decisions that are pending. Uh, We face challenges like crime and record uh, drug overdoses, attempts to take power away from parents uh, through this critical race theory teaching. So, Bobby, we have so much to talk about. I do want to start with the international scene. Uh, So many people are thinking about Ukraine and what this means for America. Give us a quick look at what you think is happening in Ukraine. Uh, and 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 really uh, help us get a little perspective on, on this. You know, I, I really appreciate that, Rebecca. And it, you know, one of the the interesting parts of life is that when you have been somewhere and 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 you have a lodged idea in your mind of these places, when something then happens there, whether it's here in the United States or or, or overseas, uh, your mind sort of goes to those places, and your your heart goes to those places too. And I spent a, a considerable amount of time in Russia and in Eastern Europe. And uh, I will try in this little dialogue to think of some silver linings because there are some um, and, and, and they come out of 
crises and, and tragedy, but your heart really does uh, it, to imagine maybe a year ago that we would be looking at a Ukraine where Maripol and a number of the cities in the east are just utterly destroyed, where Kiev, that, that great origin of Christianity, actually, uh, one of the most important cities in, in the history of Christianity, uh, would be besieged of all things by a, uh, by a, by a country, by a president, uh, which, uh, a country that's also Christian. So it's, it's, it's crazy, the, the things that have happened, the number of kids that have been, and even the number of, uh, of Russian casualties. You know, you realize that in, in roughly six weeks, the Russians have had more casualties, some say north of 15,000, than they had in 10 years of taking and occupying Afghanistan. So this is a, a calamitous error on the part of Mr. Putin. Um, and it is an error that I think it, sometimes, you know, a rock drops in the middle of the pond and the big waves don't hit the, the shoreline until a little bit later. But when they hit the shoreline, it makes a big splash. And I think what's happening now is those in the immediate orbit of Ukraine are feeling this, but a lot of Russians back home, all those mothers and daughters and wives in particular of those that are not going to be coming home, uh, they're going to feel this. So where are the silver linings? I mean, you have four, as you just said, absolutely right. You have more than 4 million refugees going into Poland. Um, you know, if I can step back 20 paces and just say, what does this ultimately mean right now? I think, first of all, it's going to go on for a while. I think if people can imagine the map of the world, uh, you need to understand that Putin may not even be done yet. Um, if you think of the Black Sea, the Black Sea is sort of over the top. It's like, uh, like the shape of an Easter egg, okay? Over the top, you have all of Russia. Over the bottom, you all have all of Turkey. But then to the east, you have a little teeny country called Georgia. And to the west, you have a little teeny country called Moldova. And there's a, those are like the hinges, if you will, on, a, on a, maybe a door, mixing metaphors here. But, but, and then you have uh, Bulgaria and Romania. Romania is a NATO country, so he won't touch Romania, I don't think. But Moldova, I think it's a very serious possibility that as his panic grows, as his inability to consolidate gains grows, either Moldova or Georgia come into the line of fire. So where are the silver linings? I mean, I will tell you that I talk to people in Poland. Um, they send me emails, people I've known, including a daughter of, uh, of one of the nine solidarity leaders that I spent time with in the 1980s. And she says, you know, among other things, there's this little miracle occurring. People, people are coming, these refugees that are all coming from Ukraine, Many of them are Orthodox. Uh, here we are at the Easter season of all things, but many of them are Orthodox. And here they are coming to a Catholic country, 98% Catholic, and the Poles are not putting them in camps. They're taking three and four Ukrainians into their homes. So now you've got eight or nine people using a toilet uh, because it's just that Poles are not particularly well they're not rich people. So that's a beautiful little thing happening. Another thing is that NATO has completely solidified. Who would have thought, again, that NATO could be, I mean, Trump kept pushing them, pay your bills, be ready, something might happen, be on top of things. And now, lo and behold, we've got a NATO that's probably more solid than it's been in two decades. So, and you've got this little China piece going on over here where China's looking and seeing, oh, guess what happens? If you try to take a contiguous country, the rest of the world unifies against you. So I think, Rebecca, it, on the one hand, there's a scariness to it because we're seeing a medieval act on the part of a medieval leader who's actually a former KGB leader in Putin. On the other hand, I think what may come out of this is a greater unity and conviction that those principles that we believe in, all of them, the things we see in the Bill of Rights, 
do really matter all over the world. And that civility and decency and a sense that we will stand together to keep those things happening uh, might be sort of getting a rebirth, a, a second a second chance. You know, Bobby, there is so much news out there and there's a lot of talk. Every news station is talking about Ukraine. What, uh, what do you know uh, in terms of... Um... Uh, Russia's uh, success or failure in in their effort uh, to capture more territory. Um, you know, we we're hearing that Ukraine is is holding strong, but uh, how long can this go on? I know that we're all expecting that this will go on for quite some time. Uh, do you believe in your heart that in fact that uh, um, Putin will not win this war? I think he's already lost it. If if win and lose has to do with what the future of the country. Uh, that he is leading uh, has to deal with in the future and maybe even the future of Ukraine. Um, you know, it's uh, it's not over yet, um, for sure. But, the, you know, anybody that's listening may, as a child, have played tug of war. You get a bunch of people on one side and a bunch on the other. And if you have a big enough family, you can even do it that way. But it, you, you start to pull. And, and at first, it's all very tense and tight. And then one side gets the momentum and everything goes. It is conceivable, given the number of weapons that are going in, given the given the way Putin is stuck right now, um, given the failures that he has racked up, given the fact that he just fired his top 100 intelligence officers or a, a large number of contingent of senior intelligence officers, that he's lost five generals, that he's lost one admiral, that he's lost a major supply ship in the Black Sea, that at a certain point, he either has to pull his horns in, pull back, maybe stay in the Donbass and basically declare the rest kind of out of reach, or that he uh, that he tries something radical like going after after uh, Georgia or uh, Moldova. Uh, but I, I really think the radical ideas begin to get less and less likely over time because you know it, you can't if you can't win your frontal assault you're not going to win your side assaults. You're not going to be able to do anything else. So Good I think this is a real loss, Rebecca. I think it, I think what's happening here is you're real, pe people are realizing, and Putin probably in his inner circle is realizing that um, when you try to do something that is so out of touch with reality, um, not that you can't use your weapons to destroy your neighbors, but uh, it, it's not going to end well. Yeah, very good point. It'll be interesting to see how it unfolds and also who who comes up behind Putin uh, in the coming years. So uh, it's too bad we don't have a crystal ball. But I do want to ask you if you had one, Bobby, you just mentioned a few moments ago, you, you, you referenced China. Uh, if you had a crystal ball, what what might it say about what China is thinking right now? Do you think that they're learning any lessons from from uh, what's happening here? Uh, Russia's attempt to take Ukraine uh, and and could this be tied to how they may act towards Taiwan? Absolutely right, Rebecca. Absolutely right. You know, I think that the Chinese Politburo is huddled around their own crystal ball right now, trying to figure out what the what the heck is going to happen here, and and maybe they should be looking at what they shouldn't do. Uh, they have already pulled back. They had up to thirty or forty fighters penetrating Taiwan's airspace uh, literally every day up and from last fall, basically after Biden got into. Uh, the position where they thought they had some advantage here because he's such a weak leader. And uh, and it turns out now they're starting to pull those fighters back a little bit. I think some of some of this is realizing that, you know, if if, if your partner, remember just before the Olympics, they, they declared their alliance with Russia, you know, presumably yes. give each other cover and, and, and kind of present themselves as a unified force. Well, 
you know, if you see your partner uh, go through a buzzsaw and come out looking pretty poor, you might not step into that buzzsaw yourself. And I think that the, that the deal with China is they could, they have it in their strategic plan to get Taiwan either intimidated back into mainland China or to somehow overtake them. But having spent time in Taiwan, let me tell you, that would be a vicious battle. That would be a far harder battle than, than, uh, than what's happening in Ukraine. And, and look at what's happening in Ukraine. I mean, the resistance is, is, is probably worthy of the French resistance or better in terms of World War II. They, they, you know, th this is a country that's saying, no, you picked the wrong enemy. You picked the wrong country to come after. If you think that's yeah. true in Ukraine, you can only imagine what it's like in Taiwan. Their philosophies are 100% different. They've got a mountainous territory. They're well-armed. We've been giving them F-16s and, and really exceptional uh, defensive capabilities since Reagan. So um, I, think, I think that China's probably looking at all this and saying, Rebecca, you know, um, um, uh, sorry about that. We were sort of thinking that, uh, <laughs> I, I think they still have their eyes on Taiwan. I just don't think they're gonna go in now. Interesting. But what's really interesting is we see Russia and how their actions are affecting the price of oil, uh, European unity, of course, and, and our own defense budget. And then on China, we see how their actions affect our nation with COVID and also their undue influence in politics and our universities and, and even our corporations and companies. Um, and then these strange ties to the Biden family, boy, and we're just beginning to see uh, this get picked up uh, outside of you know, conservative news outs, outlets. So let me ask you, how do Putin's actions affect world energy thinking? And what should we be doing on that front? And then on China, if you could talk for a minute about how you see their threat to America, uh, maybe even comment on their ties uh, to the Hunter Biden laptop, because uh, it seems to me that the the current president and, and his family uh, have some, uh, there are suspicions that have been raised. Yeah, ex excellent yeah. again. And you're so right. I mean, so the first thing that comes to mind is don't entrust your future to your adversaries, right? Uh, mm. Don't expect you and your allies to rely on some adversary like Russia and for oil and gas and think things mm. are going to work Good out point. fine. They're not. Uh, certainly don't rely on China for your pharmaceuticals. AMAC's been unbelievably proactive in saying, no, 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 we got we need to pull back our supply chain out of China. Don't, don't allow yourself to be dependent upon them. So take those one, one and two on energy and Russia. What's clearly happening is there is now a new awareness by the American people uh, that it is, it is critically important that we go back to Donald Trump's energy independence, that that is absolutely vital. So would it generate jobs now as, they, as we worry about a recession? Of course it would. Would it reopen our relationship uh, with Canada? Would it reopen, uh, would it reopen drilling and fracking and, and lower the price of gas at the pump? Yeah, the number one reason that gas at the pump is a problem is because Biden shut down a huge chunk of the American energy infrastructure. I mean, that sector, it was thriving. It was vital. We had higher production, employ employment. We had 13 uh, billion barrels, I think, a day being produced. And, and we were on our way to 18 billion. And now we're probably at half of that, maybe a third of that. I don't even know. And so at the bottom, at the end of the day, one of the big things this does is it refocuses the average American on the idea that energy matters. Your heating oil in, the, in, in New England, heating oil is incredibly expensive because we're not produ producing as much as we were. So, uh, and Russia is certainly, we also need to get our allies, the Europeans in particular, to depend on our 
energy, not Russia's, which they're doing. They're starting to do right now. Um, in terms of China, um, you know, um, that Hunter Biden laptop is getting more and more um, <laughs> insidious by the day. I mean, it, it, it's showing that he not only was a bad actor as an individual, but he was clearly involved in things he should never have been. There's a grand jury impaneled. I mean, I think we're going to see indictments. I don't know who they'll be of. I don't know how high they'll go. Um, but if you think about it for a second, if I can just sort of end my answer with a soundbite, um, if Joe Biden is at the center of this hub, uh, if, if there's no influence to sell, no one sells influence. Or to put it differently, if influence is being sold, uh, there has to be someone who has influence that is, is for sale. And, and so Joe Biden carted his son all around the world, to China, to Ukraine, to all these places. For him to say publicly, oh, we never talked about any of those deals, is really kind of unten untenable. It doesn't make any sense. The average American has to say, you know, uh, you say you weren't involved, but um, let's see what that laptop and the national uh, and and then prosecutors and the uh, and the and the um, the grand jury say, because it certainly looks very very uh, suspect. Yeah, and and the polls are showing. Uh, that the American people are, are waking up and seeing that this is not the president that he promised to be. He's certainly no moderate. Uh, he, you know, he's he's embraced some of these extreme progressive left uh, wing uh, ideologies that are so bad for the country. Uh, you mentioned that the pipeline that would be nearly done. Uh, imagine the jobs. Imagine the the resources that we'd we'd be able to get at right here at home. And instead, he's going to these other countries like Venezuela begging for oil. Um, so, you know, when you look at what he's done on the world stage and what he's doing here at home, and then you, you, uh, unfortunately, it's very sad that his son Hunter has a drug addiction and, and I feel terrible about that. Nobody wishes that on anyone. Uh, but it goes deeper than that. This is not about, uh, a, just a drug problem or, or, uh, some indiscretion. This is something that impacts America. Uh, and impacts every American citizen. So I think it's good that we are following the story and we'll uh, have more on that when more comes out. Thank you, Bobby, for your for your feedback there. I do want to bring this conversation a little bit closer to home because AMAC members, boy, they are feeling the impact of inflation. We're at a 40-year high. Uh, and, and, and I mean, can you imagine, Bobby, literally losing 10 cents off the dollar in a year? Uh, we haven't seen this. And then we're seeing a Congress that is spending endless money. And AMAC members and everyone who's listening understands that one plus one equals two. You can't uh, deny that this massive spending at the federal level is not impacting inflation and really pushing our national debt over $30 trillion. Uh, can you help everyone listening see through this blizzard of really economic bad news? Yes. And, and, and you're right to point it out because we had, and your earlier numbers from the, that you mentioned earlier, you know, this 8.5% inflation rate, which in some parts of the country, like in parts of Florida is up at 10%. Uh, it, you know, it, it varies by portion of the country. So it, it's actually quite bad and getting worse, but to jump 1.2% in a month. So think about that happening every month to the end of the year, and then think what your dollars and savings are in your retirement account or in the stock market are worth. And you realize this, this stuff that we think of as abstract, oh, it's just Joe Biden stumbling at a microphone and it's just that. No, no, mismanagement at that level comes right back home again. And, and it's affecting all of us. I mean, and, and so inflation is one piece of it, but it's the misunderstanding 
of what I'll call fiscal responsibility. You don't continue to spend vast sums of money when you don't have it, because where does that money come from? That money that comes from the average person in the town I grew up working in a paper mill, trying to get enough money to pay their taxes and, and feed their family and keep their, their either rental or their mortgage paid. They, they and maybe get their kids to school and maybe, I mean, th these dollars are hard-earned American dollars. And when you just blow them through the door, which the United States Congress has done under Democrat control, and Biden keeps signing all kinds of legislation, you end up in a situation where it has consequences. Just like elections have consequences, overspending has consequences. And by the way, cutting off the, the energy sector has consequences. And so where will this go? I mean, I'm, I'm, I think, I'm sorry to say, on the one hand, you can fix it if you get the right fiscal leadership. You get someone who understands that just like you have to balance your accounts at home, you can carry some debt, but you can't continue to carry so much debt that it ultimately controls your life. And that's what we're doing here, $30 trillion of debt. That's, that's unbelievable. We've never been there in the history of the country before. People have to understand what that means. People have to understand that we have to make payments on that debt. Uh, and, and, you know, when we really understand it, like this is real money that we're talking about, and we have to pay the interest on that debt. Uh, we just keep, you know, liken it to your own credit card at home. If you're, if you're spending too much, we, we get a bill at the end of the month and we say, oops, I can only make a payment to cover the interest rate. And so you're never paying down the principal debt, you know, the, the, the original amount that you borrowed. And we're getting into that same exact death spiral, I call it a cycle here in America. And this is so bad for our long term. It, it puts us in a terrible position, uh, both here at home, but also internationally. Uh, because that weakens our stance. Go ahead. You're absolutely right, Rebecca. And now think about the fact that the traditional response to inflation is to raise interest rates. And now imagine that all that debt, that $30 trillion worth of debt, on, and by the way, anything else, people trying to buy a home, refinance a home, the interest rates are going to be higher. So that's happening. That's absolutely happened this year. And so you have high inflation, you have high interest rates, that tends to slow down growth. That doesn't increase growth. That slows That's down right. growth. Yeah, who's going to buy a house? If you've got a 12% interest rate on a mortgage, you might say, well, I remember the good old days when it was 3 4 5%. Let me wait a few years to buy. And this is all, you know, I mean, listen, uh, everyone listening, AMAC members, they get it. Uh, it makes perfect sense that when we're in the, the position that we're in here right now today in America, that we don't keep spending more and more money on programs that are not meant to really help the economy. It's it's really meant to stifle, I think, uh, and and keep people at home and uh, suppress growth. Uh, so when Joe Biden gets on the world stage or the national stage anyway, and he says to America, I'm doing everything in my power uh, and and exhausting all, you know, every idea, every everything I could possibly be doing. This is sort of out of my control. And he blames it on COVID and he blames it on Putin. Everyone else but himself, he keeps doing this. Uh, American people are smarter than that. AMAC members are smarter than that. I think we're going to see uh, inflation and what's happening, uh, you know, to people's pocketbooks impact the way that they vote. That, Bobby, and also what's happening you know, I do want to pivot and ask you a little bit about what you're seeing at the, at the southern border uh, and have you respond to that. I saw this morning uh, a, a busload of, of illegals that were car uh, driven to Washington, essentially, and dropped at the, the steps of the Capitol uh, building. I don't know if we've got a video of that that we can share, but um, if we do, we'll go ahead and put that right up here on the screen. 
it, it is so frustrating to see these states like Texas, Arizona, these governors that are just um, left in such a bad situation because the, the, their states are really being impacted. Uh, this is another area where our president has let us down. He broke his promise. His promise was to protect Americans, and he's not doing that. Uh, we see wide open borders allowing for illegals, uh, you know, massive uh, drug overdoses here in America by innocent young people that don't realize that they're taking a, a pill that maybe is, is um, poisoned uh, with fentanyl. And then we're hearing about more and more human trafficking. And there are so many people turning a blind eye, average Americans that are don't really want it to be their problem. So they're avoiding this uncomfortable issue. Uh, and it's it's the reality. What should Biden be doing right now? And how do you see this 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 uh, these this wide open border impacting us? I mean, for starters, you should not be repealing Title 42. Um, Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So the gist of everything you just said is is and it's all so accurate, is that we're living through a period of time when the leaders that we expect to be responsible on the economy um, you know, don't tell me you're putting out the fire. Why did you start the fire in the first place? Um, mm. Don't tell me that you're 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 going to address the border when you're the one that essentially opened up the border and reversed the prior policies that were keeping us more safe, public health and safety. Um, so, and you're absolutely right. It, it has dramatic effects. I mean, the, the drug overdoses this year uh, have been in the last 12 months have, have topped 100,000. We, we've never been there before. And, and every one of those is not only a child, uh, likely, or a teen, but a, a family member. All these family, all those kids have brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and grandmothers and friends, and they're all impacted by a drug overdose where a young life is ended. So it's a horrible, it's a horrible moment. Uh, well, it's an abdication of leadership. With respect to the border, Title 42, in a nutshell, is a law that came on the books in 1944 that allows a president uh, to stop and immediately deport, which we are doing right now, to immediately deport anyone that has or may have a communicable disease. So right now, the four largest countries that illegally entered the United States over the southern border had big spikes in COVID in January, uh, earlier in this year, they also are countries that have maybe averaged a third of their population inoculated. Uh, probably the ones traveling are not the ones that have a vested interest in staying there and getting inoculated too. So, I mean, it, the likelihood is very high that we're getting, which is why we've been deported. Uh, but if you lift that, which Biden says he's now going to lift it, and, and even moderate Democrats are saying, hey, uh, maybe not. Maybe that's not such a good plan, but he's gone full bore. And so what they're going to do is they're going to lift Title 42 or repeal it. Uh, and don't forget, these same countries are high in tuberculosis. They're high in syphilis. They're high in a lot of them hepatitis. They've got, they've got all kinds of communicable diseases that you want to at least say, let's do the analysis first before we say we're not going to deport these people. Because where do they end up? They end up in New York and Florida and Iowa and Maine and California. They end up all over the place, or I guess now in Washington, D.C. at last. Uh, and so end of the day, uh, it makes no sense unless your goal is to promote illegal immigration at the cost of the health and welfare of the American people or to elevate maybe some illegal voting because you're gonna punch in twice the number of, uh, of illegals. And by the way, this is not theoretical. Even their own analysis shows that there is a surge waiting at the border. When that is repealed, they will come in. So for everyone out there, 
I want uh, just put this in perspective. Here we have a president who who speaks about the guns that we've got to get off the street, and he's targeting good, honest people like you and me, uh, lawful citizens, uh, and doing nothing about the illegal guns that are coming into America over the border. Think about that. You know, think about every time we hear about another shooting, we hear about about another school shooting or subway shooting. Uh, we hear leadership talk about the big bad guns. They don't talk about the people that are using those guns. And uh, think about COVID, uh, your children being forced to mask or forced to stay home, your employer forcing you or being pressured to coerce you into getting a, a vaccine. Yet we have a president who welcomes uh, hundreds of thousands, millions of illegals uh, without much worry as to whether or not they've had the COVID vaccine. I mean, it is almost unbelievable. You know, you you would think that this would be written in some sort of fiction story and we'd all say, oh, that would never really happen, but it makes for good reading. This is real stuff. It's hard to really wrap my mind around the fact that we could have a president so uncaring, uh, it just really so inept, incompetent, uh, really just stupid, Bobby. And I, I hate to say it like that and disrespect the, the president, but um, it makes no sense, <laughs> at least not to an average person like me. So I really appreciate you helping us remember that there really is a true north and that things matter, that they should matter, uh, that truth matters. And so, Bobby, to wrap them, things up a little bit, I do want uh, to take this moment and ask for you to share a little bit of history, maybe a story or two, because you do have such rich history. You've traveled the world. You've, you've worked closely with folks like, like Reagan, uh, Bush 41, Colin Powell. So perhaps you could leave us with a little bit of a perspective through a story or, or two. Uh, maybe there's a lesson or two uh, that you've learned that you can share with us. You know, and I, I guess maybe a few about Eastern Europe or Russia would make sense given the current context. Um, and I agree with everything you just said there. And, and yes, it's it's either unintelligent, by the way, or it's intentional. And uh, I guess when we're told, by the way, by, by Biden diktat, we can't use the word illegal alien anymore. And they're scrubbing it from all the federal documents. Yeah, ridiculous. Uh, you got you to ask what's really going on there. So some, yeah. some stories, some simple stories that are just good to remember. You know, um, I'm always reminded that, at least in my view, uh, good leaders make all the difference. History is not, you know, some people think it just goes like this and, and nobody really pays, it, it's all going to happen anyway. Well, no, that's not really true. I mean, Ronald Reagan and Winston Churchill and Abraham Lincoln and the founding fathers teach us very clearly that history is, is, is about how the people speak in America, how the people speak to get good leadership. And so this November will be very important in that regard. And every day is important in that regard, whether you're at a school board meeting or just trying to talk to a neighbor. And I'm reminded that good leaders like Reagan could turn the dial and they turned it in ways that were both domestic and international and they did it in the most simple ways you know when i'll just tell you when when ronald reagan died um he i remember his procession i was in washington and the the, the uh, caisson and, and he lay in state uh over at the capitol and because i had been there for some time and i i got in line and i got up to the the the, the, the forefront and I had worked, of course, for prior speakers, and so I was standing actually in a little stairwell to the side of the place where the casket, flag draped and, and marine protected, was sitting. And um, I was about to go out to to um, to go uh, pay my respects, and uh, the Capitol Police stopped me and said, "Just wait." Um, and a little man came up through the stairwell and went out 
and um, actually paid his respects in a, in, a, in a seemingly religious way and turned around and came back down again. There was no press. Uh, there was no press coverage of it. Um, as far as the world knows, it never happened. That little man was Gorbachev. And that's because Ronald Reagan, almost certainly from a political perspective, converted that man to understanding that things like the Bill of Rights, freedom of people, release of them from the communist yoke really mattered, that that was something he could do in his lifetime. Um, another very simple thing that affected my way of thinking, and I've told this story a couple of times previously in different environments, but Ronald Reagan did this in his daily life. You know, a lot of us, um, well, let's put it this way, a good leader says, just bring it, okay? Whatever it is that I've got to deal with, just bring it. And Ronald Reagan was like that, but he never lost his human touch either. And um, one day, a, a very acerbic reporter, um, uh, Don, uh, uh, Sam Donaldson, was very rude in the middle of an event, disrupted the event, stormed through the, uh, the, the, the Rose Garden and went off dragging his poor cameraman with him and you know, wanted to scoop the story, et cetera. And when it was all over, the way that the Rose Garden is configured is there's the Oval Office on one side and the Press Office on another side, and then the South Lawn goes beyond that on the other side. Well, um, Reagan was just walking back to the Oval Office, and I, I was standing there, and I just watched him. He was a young man in his White House, and I watched him, and he leaned down into the tall, nicely trimmed, but grass, and picked something up, couldn't figure out what it was, and then turned around, you know, Meese and Baker and Devers were there, and turned around and went into the press room, which is kind of an odd thing for a president to do. But if you're the president, you can do whatever you want. Um, so uh, and he and it turns out I watched him. He he went over and he handed the lens cap that that the poor cameraman who'd been dragged off by Sam Donaldson had dropped in this process. And he said, drop your lens cap and then went back to the Oval Office. Well, that's the kind of thing we should all be doing on a daily basis. And, uh, you know, one last thing, those polls that are being so good right now, um, a, a very Catholic nation showing in a sense that faith also matters in a day-to-day -day way by helping the Ukrainians. Um, I'll never forget when I was over there at the time of solidarity and, and during martial law back in the 80s, they took me out a little sliver of wood, like a, a piece of wood that said USA on it. Now this is during the Soviet times, you know, so you're not really supposed to have that kind of stuff. Um, and they said, this was handed down in the family because these were the boxes that were dropped during World War II with provisions to keep us alive. Wow. Yeah, and it, they kept it all those years, just a little slat of wood that, that they, cool. they love America, they love America. And that's, yeah. what, that's what we should be doing. We should be leading in the world so that people realize hope is real, hope can be fulfilled, and America represents a real beacon. As, as Ronald Reagan, borrowing from the Bible said, a beacon on the hill. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you, Bobby. It was really wonderful to have this chat with you. Uh, as you always do, you really do inform us and end up lift us. So I love those stories. Uh, they're probably my favorite part of our time together. So thank you for being with us today. And for everyone out there listening, thank you for tuning in. And if you haven't downloaded that AMAC News app, you're missing out. Go ahead and do that. You can watch, you can listen to this show uh, and plus, plus track breaking news right there on the AMAC News app. Please make sure to hit that subscribe button, like, follow, and share wherever you are on social media. Until next time, I'm Rebecca Weber. This is your podcast, Better for America. God bless you and have a great day, everyone. 
You're listening to the Better for America podcast presented by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. To learn more about AMAC and all it has to offer, visit us at www.amac.us.